Why should I live in history, huh? Fuck, I don't want to know anything anymore. This is a world where nothing is solved. When someone once told me time is a flat circle. If everything we've ever done or will do, we're going to do over and over and over again. But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hey all you cool cats and kittens, it's your old pal Zach from Lame Podcast Rescue, bringing you yet another edition of Give Us a Second, a mini-show version of the greatest moments in the history of forever. This is our 38th installment of GUAS, Operation Shutdown, Volume 2, still solo, still quarantined, still broadcasting out into the lonely, lonely void. Desperately hoping my voice will find your ears. Yes, as you all know, we're still in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak pandemic going on here in America as well as the world. So Matt and I are not yet able to get back together to record new episodes of The Greatest Moments. So I figured I would keep the podcast feed alive, keep us in your thoughts as this all goes down record another operation shutdown no new updates as far as the world goes no new updates on the status of this show no idea when we'll be able to resume business as usual maybe never did you ever consider that i'm sure many of you have maybe the world will never really be the same who knows what the long-term ramifications of all this will be It's something that I don't think most of us ever thought would happen. And so here we are, trying to make the best of it. Everybody's bored out of their minds, stuck in their houses, unable to really do very much. So a lot of media is being consumed. I think one of the lessons that we're learning, I mean, we're learning a lot, but one of them would be the significance and the importance of the arts, of movies, of TV, of music, of books, things to keep our minds occupied, things to keep us distracted, things to pass the time. And so this version of Operation Shutdown will mostly be about recommendations, things that you can check out on Netflix and different things like that. Because, frankly, you know, it's hard to think of topics to talk about when you're by yourself and you don't really have anybody to bounce this off of, and you're not really having a conversation. It's more of just a prepared, written-out thing that I'm going by here, (laughs) trying to make that somewhat interesting. I don't know how successful I am at that. Right now, as always, I've been formulating plans for how... We might be able to come back with the greatest moments in the history of forever if we're able to at some point. We don't know when that would be or what that would look like really, but I would say that the priorities as far as the podcast goes would be to try to 
get to one trashy summer at some point over the warmer months. And if things work out, we should reach our 200th episode this year, which we had something in mind for. Hopefully we'll still be able to do that. And then, of course, our podcast's biggest moment of the year, the greatest October in the history of forever, where we had something else very special planned this year. Kind of a big blowout for Greatest October, which Matt and I had discussed a little bit. So hopefully we'll still be able to do that or some version of that. But the world of movies and and entertainment are really, much like everything else, in a state of flux. All of the movies that were scheduled to be released have been impacted, at least for the next few months, over most of the summer. Obviously, much like when there's a writer's strike or something like that, there's going to be a gap of new material because nobody's working on anything right now. And so that's going to change TV seasons, change movie schedules, change a lot of those types of things. So we'll probably see a lot more reality television programming and stuff like that. But when you're talking about something as serious as what we're going through now, you know, the movies and the TV shows are not really as important. But I don't think that you can just dismiss them outright, because as I said, I think this has just been a reminder of how much we rely on those things. Imagine going through these quarantine times right now with no movies, no TV, no books, no anything, and you just had to (laughs) sit there and be alone with your thoughts and... (laughs) Maybe you'd be allowed to go on Twitter and have to deal with how shitty that nightmare is. So, yeah, it does matter, and hopefully we'll be able to come out on the other side of this thing. And, I don't know, hopefully there's going to be like a vaccine or something, and we can learn from this experience. As always, follow... The show for any and all updates on Twitter at Greatest Pod. When we figure out when we'll get back to recording and stuff, we'll let you know on there. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Podbean. You can download the Podbean app from the App Store, all that good stuff. Maybe while you're chilling out in quarantine trying to think of things to do you can go back and check out some of our older episodes back when we were more fly by night and the episodes weren't all an hour and 45 minutes (laughs) somehow we would cover things like the silence of the lambs in 38 minutes i think if we did the silence of the lambs now it would be four hours probably anyway the first thing i wanted to talk about before i jumped into recommendations is of course netflix's new reality true crime series tiger king which everyone has been talking about how could we not at least mention it on the show at this point it's been released for a couple of weeks now so i assume most people have seen it if not go ahead and check that out because what are you doing everyone's talking about it you might as well just watch it just to be able to participate in the conversation It's an insanely watchable exploration of the mysterious and strangely dramatic world of big cat conservationists and collectors across America. 
There are seven episodes, and they're all packed with twists and turns and salacious details, drugs, sex, guns, murder, and tigers. Oh my. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's a crazy fucking show. There's nothing quite like it out there as far as the major Netflix, Hulu, streaming world. This is kind of a mashup of a lot of different things that people are really into right now, including true crime. I wanted to talk about it because while I did find it entertaining, (laughs) there is a part of me that gets a little bit depressed watching stuff like this. It's really the underbelly of Americana, the darker side of our country, really. Every character on this series is a nightmare. When I first started watching it, and I was watching the first episode or two, I was thinking to myself, if this doesn't end with everybody being eaten by a tiger, I'm going to be very disappointed, even though I knew that that wasn't going to happen. And it kind of gave me that same queasy feeling that I felt watching Making a Murderer a few years ago, which was a precursor, really, as far as Netflix goes. Maybe Making a Murderer was slightly more exploitative because there was an actual murder victim that the whole thing was kind of about. And yes, I do realize that Carol Baskin may have killed her husband, but that's not what Tiger King is really about. So it's kind of different when the murder's not really at the center of it. It's not really unlike all of the very popular true crime podcasts and the true crime shows and all of that stuff. And I want to make it clear that I don't really have any judgment for people who are enjoying Tiger King and the memes and the jokes and all that stuff. I watched Tiger King pretty much as fast as I could and devoured it and talked about it plenty with people. And I went through a big phase of listening to true crime podcasts, so there's no judgment there. But when you think about it, usually there are victims involved in these things. Maybe not so much Tiger King. I think people are trying to think of it more as like reality TV rather than straight up true crime. Not to give the whole show away, but Joe Exotic gets arrested for murder for hire, but no one actually gets murdered in the end. So it's a little bit different than doing like a podcast about an actual murder victim or something like that. But I don't know. I, I walk away feeling kind of entertained and yet a little bit depressed by the whole thing (laughs) this is what's going on in this country i don't think that it's too much of a stretch to watch something like tiger king and then think about how we ended up with the president that we have handling this pandemic the way that he is and just the way that this country is now with a reality show star as a president and the people that just blindly are supporting him despite him being completely insane. You wonder how you get there, and then you're like, oh yeah, a big part of the country are people like the Avery clan from Making a Murderer, or Joe Exotics of the world, or Doc Antiel, or <laughs> Carol Baskin, or, or these people, and you're just like, oh my god, what is going on out there in, <laughs> in this country? <laughs> I think people that live their own sheltered lives in urban areas and cities and stuff kind of forget that a lot of the country is Joe Exotic (laughs) or people that would go to Joe Exotic's roadside zoo. It, It just kind of sickens me a little bit 
But there's no denying America's obsession with true crime titillation, and this is sort of the ultimate coming together of that with tawdry sex details, meth, and animals, which people love. The tigers and lions and all that shit in Tiger King are used not unlike the way that the creepy characters like Doc Antiel and Jeff Lowe use them to lure in sad young women. (laughs) Or how Joe Exotic himself seems to use them to convince straight men that they're gay. (laughs) This all seems to be traced back to serial when America's true crime fascination really exploded, but it certainly existed pre-serial. I mean, I remember watching the Discovery ID channel, or whatever that channel's called, years before Serial existed, and people have loved Forensic Files or Dateline and all that shit. I guess there's supposedly going to be another episode of Tiger King released. Maybe people will know more about that by the time I post this episode. I don't know. I'm not going to really go over various thoughts and theories and opinions on what happens in the show. It pretty much speaks for itself, the truth of what actually happened regarding the crime at the center of it or any potential crimes in Carol Baskin's history or anything like that, you can kind of draw your own conclusions based on what you see. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's get into... My recommendations for this week, everybody has plenty of time to check out stuff on an assortment of streaming options, so you really don't have any excuse to not at least check out some of these things. However, the first one, I know you're not going to check out, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. And the reason you're not going to check it out is it's not really available to stream anywhere, at least according to my Roku, where I searched for it. I do have the recently released Criterion Collection Blu-ray of this film, and it was a first-time watch for me, and I loved it. And it's a film called The Day Trippers from 1996, and it was directed by Greg Matola, who you would know as the director of Superbad, Adventureland, things like that. He's also worked a lot in television. The Day Trippers was his first feature, and it stars... Hope Davis, who I am in love with, Parker Posey, who I am also in love with, Liev Schreiber, who I am less in love with, but I do like, Stanley Tucci also in it, and Anne Mira in a hilarious role, pure, unadulterated 90s American indie cinema. I love everything about it. The story is a seemingly happy suburban housewife finds a love letter to her husband and doesn't know the source of it and she enlists her quirky family to help figure it out. The film basically takes place over one day. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's very funny, and it makes me nostalgic for the 90s, which is pretty much the number one thing a movie can have going for it. So if you ever have a chance to check out The Day Trippers, I would recommend it. Like I said, I don't really see it streaming anywhere, so fuck me, I guess. All right, the second would be another... Criterion Collection film. I have been watching a lot of Criterion movies during this quarantine time. Just an absurd amount. I have a goal in mind. I'll probably get there. I think this quarantine could probably last until 2025. I still wouldn't watch every movie I have on Blu-ray. 
this is pretty much what I've been <laughs> planning for over the last few years, amassing a huge collection of movies to go along with all of the streaming options. I'm pretty much set to waste as much time as I need to. My second recommendation is a film from 1984 called Paris, Texas, directed by Vim Vendors. You can rent this on Amazon or Apple TV for $3.99. It's visually beautiful. The use of colors in it are astounding. Stars Harry Dean Stanton and Natasha Kinski, amongst others. Dean Stockwell in it as well. Suave. God damn, you're one suave fucker. I know these names probably aren't doing much for you. It's a very strange movie. It's about a man who reemerges after three years wandering alone in the desert, basically, <laughs> and comes back to society to uh, reconnect with his family in a way. And the final scene, the final confrontation scene, it's not the final scene, but the final confrontation, the final exchange of dialogue that goes on for an extended period of time between two of the main characters at the end of the film. What's so unexpectedly powerful kind of took me aback a bit, and the movie really resonated with me in a way that I wasn't expecting when it started. Because I was like, okay, this is visually incredible. It's so well-framed and directed, and it looks great. But the story was kind of slow, and I wasn't sure where it was heading, and... When it gets there, it really pays off. I would really recommend checking it out if you're interested in sort of a, an artsy diversion during these times. If you're less into the artsy-fartsy, then we have Community on Netflix. Annie, we're sorry. We were worried about your well-being. I guess we feel like we're sort of all a family, and Jeff and I are like your Greendale parents. You're not my mom, Britta. She would never wear boots that go up that high. And what about respecting me as an adult and as a friend? Huh. You want to be treated as an adult and a friend? Try not dating your friend's ex-boyfriend. Find your own man. Oh, oh my. Boy. But you don't like Vaughn. No, I don't. But I also don't like seeing him with anyone else. Ta-da! I asked you if you cared and you said no. Fine, I cared. I'm a girly girl. I like boys and, and I don't like it when they're mean to me and I don't like it when they stop kissing me and start kissing my friends. I'm not that cool. I'm not Juno, okay, home slice? This is what it was about for you? You were jealous? Oh, please, you can't tell me that you weren't jealous that Vaughn had his hippie hands all over your debate slash makeout partner. What are you insinuating? I took that kiss for the team. What? Yeah. That kiss wasn't for pleasure. It was strategic and joyless. What? Yeah. You did get weirdly specific when you were describing Annie's body. More specific than the stuff you told me about Britta? What? what? Does anyone get specific about me? Check your email. I'll mark you as spam. Who the hell is Pam? When you guys first came in, we were as wholesome and healthy as the family in the Brady Bunch. And now we're as dysfunctional and incestuous as the cast of the Brady Bunch. I agree with Abed. This is getting creepy. No more creepy than when Jeff wears tight jeans and you say, I'd like to slap those buns on the grill. What? what? First of all, I don't talk like that. And second of all, where I'm from, it's perfectly normal for women to talk about their male friends' backsides. And you don't see me saying anything crazy about a Abed and Troy's weird little relationship. They're just, They're just jealous. jealous. All right, all right. Maybe we're not a family. Maybe it's more complicated. Because unlike a real family, there's nothing to stop any one of us from looking at any of the others as a sexual prospect. 
110 episodes, ran from 2009 to 2015. I'm sure most of you are somewhat familiar with it. I think it started on NBC and ended as a an internet show, I think on like Yahoo or something when they were trying to get that going. But stars Joel McHale, Donald Glover, Allison Brie, Jillian Jacobs, amongst others, Ken Jeong. It's a really funny, quirky show. I love it. I love it so much. I watched embarrassingly 13 episodes straight the other night I've already watched the entire run I think I watched it last year when it was on Hulu now it's on Netflix I would just say check it out give it a chance just kind of don't take it too seriously it's not like other shows there's a lot of weird diversions and goofiness and it's it's almost more like a cartoon but with real people (laughs) at times and I, I don't know I just really got into the vibe of it I don't know why I didn't stick with it when it was airing initially on NBC. I watched it occasionally, but did never week to week, really. As I mentioned, it is also still on Hulu. And speaking of Hulu, you can now watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which came out technically last year. It wasn't really being released into a lot of American cinemas until this year, but that sort of was derailed by the theater's closing for coronavirus and all that stuff. It's written and directed by Celine Sciamma. I'm probably butchering that. She is a French lady. This is a French film. Very artsy. (laughs) French lesbian period piece. Not unlike Paris, Texas, in that a lot of the appeal of the film is the visual, a lot of artistic shots. Looks incredible. Story-wise, was a little slow for me. I think the hype for it is a tad overblown for whatever reason. But I still enjoyed it. Uh, as far as French lesbian cinema, probably didn't register as much for me as Blue is the Warmest Color, but that's sort of a hot-button topic nowadays to bring up that movie for a lot of understandable reasons. So there you have it. But Portrait of a Lady on Fire, for those of you who have Hulu on there now, and Parasite. Winner of Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards will be on Hulu starting Friday, April 10th. So if you haven't watched Parasite yet, I would highly recommend checking it out. It lives up to the hype. It is as good as people say. I know there's probably people out there that aren't super into foreign films necessarily. They don't like having to read the subtitles, whatever. They're probably having a hard time believing that it's as good as people are saying. But I assure you that it is. It lives up to the hype. And if it didn't, I would say it. I'm not really concerned with the PC takes on how these movies are. That's why I said that Portrait of a Lady on Fire was a little overblown. The hype for it. Parasite, no. If anything, the hype is underblown. More people should be seeing it. I mean, it winning the Oscar is great for people who care about the Oscars and people who care about movie Twitter and all that horse shit. But more people should be seeing it in general. And finally... Before I get into a really insane idea here at the end, I'm going to give two more quick (laughs) classic movie recommendations. I know people are probably like, what the fuck is this? We're not going to watch any of this bullshit, but whatever. Two classic movies, All About Eve from 1950, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, starring Betty Davis and Ann Baxter. Just an unbelievable movie. It's sort of a prototype for many other films that would come after it. The young ingenue getting close to the aging actress sort of pushing her out of the way 
something that would be replicated time and time again in various forms and all different types of media, movies, TV shows. It's a theme we've seen a million times. Betty Davis and Ann Baxter are both incredible in the movie. And the thing that jumped out to me on this recent viewing is how funny Marilyn Monroe is in the movie. She has a small part in All About Eve, but every line she says is hilarious. I distinctly remember Addison crossing you off my guest list. What are you doing here? Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must play it again soon. Uh, you remember Miss Caswell, don't you? I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Art. Ah, Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitts. I had no idea you two knew each other. This must be at long last a formal introduction. Until now, we've only met in passing. That's how you met me, in passing. Yeah. Eve, this is an old friend of Mr. DeWitt's mother, Miss Caswell, Miss Harrington. Miss Caswell, how do you do? Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. It could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. You've heard of her great interest in the theater. We have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. Claudia, come here. You see that man? That's Max Fabian, the producer. Now go and do yourself some good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Now go and make him happy. I think that's the thing that gets lost sometimes with sex symbols, and specifically Marilyn Monroe, who, when you watch her films, you realize that she's pretty much exclusively a comedic actress in most of her most well-known stuff. Like I said, every line she has in All About Eve is hilarious, and she doesn't have a ton of lines, but that will bring me to my next recommendation from nine years later, 1959, Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder. You can watch this movie on Amazon Prime if you have it. All About Eve, I think you're going to have to rent for $2.99 or $3.99, whatever. Some Like It Hot, if you have Prime, you can watch it. It's also a rental option. It stars Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon. We've done a couple of Billy Wilder movies on the podcast. I think Some Like It Hot is probably his most beloved movie. It's not my favorite. I prefer the ones we've done on the podcast to it. It's not even really my favorite collaboration between Wilder and Marilyn Monroe. I actually am a really big fan of The Seven Year Itch which is probably most famous for the publicity shot of Marilyn Monroe standing on the subway grate with her dress blowing up and her pushing it down. It's like one of the most iconic pictures of all time. It doesn't actually appear in the movie, but there's like a variation of it. And then I think the publicity picture is the thing that got all the attention. But Some Like It Hot is still very funny, despite the fact that it's now over 60 years old. I don't know. (laughs) Does this like theme of men dressing up like women does that hold up nowadays i don't know i I actually also recently rewatched tootsie and I, I can't imagine all of that stuff would really play well now i don't think some like it hot really strays into the sexuality of those uh behaviors and and the implications thereof but i don't know i mean could you replicate something like some like it hot now i kind of doubt it but it's funny it's enjoyable and again, Marilyn is really funny in it. Sometimes that has to be the, the, the path for the bombshells, for the women that are so sexy that it's hard for them to be taken seriously as an actress. 
sometimes you have to become a comedic actress and i think that's what marilyn was probably best at at least as far as the stuff i've seen i can't say that i've seen every movie she's ever been in but i really enjoy her in both all about eve and some like it hot as well as the seven year itch if you wanted to check that out as well so a lot of titles coming at you fast and furious these are the ones that you have to do a little bit of work for if you don't have access to the blu-rays and stuff like that some like it hot all about eve both on criterion blu-ray as well as other blu-ray releases but the final 10 movies yeah that's right 10 more recommendations this one i kind of put together very quickly i'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about each of them but these are the ones that i feel like you have to watch because they're all on netflix i did this in about 15 minutes or so i just went through the netflix menus and picked out 10 movies that I think you should check out if you haven't seen before. If you've already seen them, good for you. You don't have to watch them again. But you really don't have any excuse now. You're sitting at home. Almost everyone listening to this probably has Netflix. You can watch these over the next couple of weeks. We all know that society is not opening back up till at least the end of April, probably not till longer for a lot of things. So here you go. One thing I did notice was, A, <laughs> Netflix... Not really a big selection of pre-2000 movies. Even the 90s, there wasn't like a ton of things I was seeing. B, I stuck mostly to the main menus. Didn't really search for things or, or anything like that. I just figured, whatever I see, I'm going to pick. I try not to pick things that we've done on the podcast already as episodes. I tried not to pick things that were super obvious. Like I left out all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies I was passing and stuff like that try not to do things I know we're going to do on the podcast that we have plans to do. So this was just 10 things that jumped out to me that didn't check any of those other boxes. And I figured, hey, we probably aren't going to cover them. You should check them out if you haven't seen them. It's a good way to pass different nights. If you watch one a night, here's 10 nights of entertainment for you. Number one, newly to Netflix, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, 2012, directed by Stephen Chbosky, based on the novel that he wrote. If you live in Pittsburgh, like me, this is a Pittsburgh story from a Pittsburgh author, set in Pittsburgh, filmed in Pittsburgh. Matt and I, as well as our friend Brian and some other people, we had a little run over at the Hollywood Theater before it became like a regular theater in the sense that they play like Avengers movies now rather than the odd indie art movies. But they did, I think, a premiere over there. I think the Hollywood Theater is in this movie, at least briefly. Check it out, though. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's the coming-of-age story that has sort of become like a, a more modern catcher in the rye. <laughs> Number two, Good Time from 2017, directed by Josh and Benny Safdie. This was their movie before Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. This one stars Robert Pattinson. Same vibe, same intense, uh, anxiety-building dread. If you weren't convinced of Robert Pattinson as an actor yet, this would be the thing that pushed you over the edge. Really intense film where you're kind of just having to look away at some of, the, some of the decisions. I mean, many would argue that that was ramped up a lot for Uncut Gems, and Uncut Gems might be slightly better. I've seen other people argue that Good Time is better. To me, they're sort of companion pieces that are very similar. Number three, Sling Blade, 1996, directed by Billy Bob Thornton. 
by this point, I'm sure almost anyone would be familiar with the imitation of Billy Bob Thornton's character from the movie. Uh, don't let that meme your way out of this movie as just thinking that you know what it's like or whatever. Thornton wrote and directed this. This is based on a play that he wrote, and it is just, it's a very powerful movie. One of the better movies of the 90s, really, that I, I feel like people don't talk about as much. It's its just really a well-made film, a good story, good performances from Dwight Yoakam and uh, John Ritter, amongst others. Number four, Mystic River, 2003, directed by Clint Eastwood. Man, this movie, oof, powerhouse performances from Sean Penn, Kevin Bacon, Tim Robbins, childhood friends grow up. There's a fracture when tragedy befalls the family of one of these three men and the fallout of that tragedy. Just an incredible movie. Number five, Blue Ruin from 2013, directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Your standard act of vengeance type movie, you probably won't recognize any of the actors except for maybe Buzz from Home Alone as an adult. Even he looks different, though. Jeremy Saulnier directed Green Room and what was that movie on Netflix? I can't remember. Hold the Dark. This was the first time I knew who he was. Very powerful movie, a small independent movie. It's on Netflix right now. Check it out. Number six, sort of the opposite. A huge, big budget sci-fi movie from 2002 called Minority Report. Directed by a guy you may have heard of named Steven Spielberg. Starring another guy you may have heard of named Tom Cruise. When we did Vanilla Sky recently, I think I was saying to Matt off mic for some reason rather than on mic, that this era of Tom Cruise was my favorite era of his career, even more so than some of the uh, 80s classics. Just really a lot of interesting work with Eyes Wide Shut, Vanilla Sky, Magnolia, even Minority Report, which is a little bit different, more big budget. But frankly, looking back at the last two decades of Steven Spielberg's career, I don't know. I mean, Minority Report might be the last good movie he's made. It's hard to think of anything that came after this, for sure. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I really enjoyed it, and I, I think it's kind of a fun, thought police type movie. <laughs> Number seven, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I think they just added this to Netflix somewhat recently, 2017, directed by Yorgos Lantimos, starring Colin Farrell, who also is in Minority Report, and also Nicole Kidman, who also used to be married to Tom Cruise. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Folks, if you saw The Lobster and you're like, this is too fucked up, or I don't like this vibe, or you saw The Favorite, which was Lantimos's Oscar-nominated film, and you didn't really dig the vibe of that, then, you know, you're probably not going to like Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's probably not as fucked up as The Lobster. I don't know. There's elements of it that is. It's hard to say. It's a dark, weird, strange movie. I think when I saw it in the theater, I was initially kind of put off by parts of it, but it's one of those movies that certainly grows on you, and you, you think about a lot of the things from it and what different things mean. Very strange movie. I love directors like Lantimos that sort of force you to think about different things, sort of confront you with odd behaviors, odd reactions to things, odd situations. Number eight. These are all on Netflix, folks. Check them out. Number eight, The Wicker Man, directed by Robin Hardy. I'm talking about the 1973 version, The Ridge, 
not the Nicolas Cage remake. Wicker Man is sort of a precursor to Midsummer in a lot of ways. Island, weird pagan rituals, singing, nudity, strange shit, a mystery. Check it out. It's a weird horror movie from the 70s. I like it a lot. Number nine, sort of a sci-fi horror movie, Event Horizon, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, certainly the lesser of the Paul Anderson directors. This would be one of the only Paul W.S. Anderson movies I like. Ghost, Spaceship, Floating Around, What Happened, Sort of a Mystery, Some Fucked Up Shit. It's actually kind of creepy and scary. Well done. Sort of a sleeper movie. I think it was expected to do better than it did in the theaters. I don't think it did super great. Probably cost a lot of money. But check it out. Event Horizon. Really good. Number 10. There were a few choices for this one. And I went with a movie that I saw in the theater and liked it. But like it more now. I think it's more relevant now than ever. And it's Killing Them Softly from 2012. Directed by Andrew Dominic. Starring Brad Pitt. This was Dominic's follow-up to the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which was also starring Brad Pitt. I think people were expecting something more raucous out of this movie based on the trailer, based on the subject matter, sort of low-level gangster shit, a mob hit, based on people robbing a protected poker game, something like that. And what they got was something more depressing and bleak and meditative and ultimately something that works better as a metaphor for our country and capitalism and a recession. And I think in this current climate, what we're seeing because of coronavirus and the fallout from that and sort of the dark side of capitalism coming out and how a lot of the country is sort of a house of cards that can get blown over so easily in just a matter of weeks, really. If you view it through that lens and you think about what the characters represent in Killing Them Softly and what the story is really about and who these people represent, I think there's a lot of layers to it that you may not pick up on the first time seeing it. But if you sort of view Killing Them Softly in a 2020 lens, it may be even more powerful than it was eight years ago. So all of these movies... The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Good Time, Sling Blade, Mystic River, Blue Ruin, Minority Report, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Wicker Man, Event Horizon, and Killing Them Softly, all available on Netflix right now. Check them out. It's a good way to pass the time in addition to Some Like It Hot, All About Eve, Parasite coming to Hulu on April 10th, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Community, Paris, Texas, and if you're really lucky and you figure out a way to see the Day Trippers, check that out as well. That should hold you over for a while during this time. I mean, how many times can you rewatch Tiger King, people? Come on. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking there, sticking in there with me as we try to get through this. Believe me, no one is looking forward to doing regular episodes with Matt more than me. <laughs> I'm only doing this so that we just don't have an extended period of time without new material. I mean, I'm still being charged by Podbean to host these stupid episodes, so, you know, I might as well get something out of it and post something and keep us in your minds during this time. As I said, follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe 
on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, all that stuff. Hang in there. Continue to social distance. Continue washing your hands. All of that stuff. I think we're in the midst of a dark time, but I think we're making a difference by doing these things. I think it could be so much worse than it is. So even though it's been bad, thankfully people seem to be taking it a little bit more seriously now. Anyway, thank you for listening. Hang in there, and we will talk to you again soon. Maybe another Operation Shutdown, or maybe not. Maybe we'll be back with regular episodes before you know it. So who knows? Keep an eye on the feed, and we'll talk to you soon. racist person in the world. My best friend, when I was six years old, was a black man. Okay.